Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from Paul's letter to the church at Colossians. Um, Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be picking up in verse 15 and going through verse 20. So I invite you to listen to this, the reading of God's word. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, and I'm still learning our congregation, obviously, but I'm sensing a little bit of a heaviness amongst us this morning. I'm sensing that there's just something that's kind of uh, maybe holding us back. Maybe it's just me. But I'm hoping that these words this morning, that passage that we read just a second ago, might redirect a little bit of that. Are you up for that? Let me ask you this. Are are you ready to be challenged by Jesus this morning? Regardless of what I say. Growing up in Florida meant uh, that uh, summer vacation for us involved leaving where everybody else wanted to go. (laughs) Uh, Every year, northerners uh, come down to our beaches, and every two years, my family uh, jumped in the station wagon and we went north. My grandmother uh, was from upstate New York, and so we would drive three days, and we would spend time in Fulton and Syracuse and Lake Ontario. And by the way, the waters of Lake Ontario are nothing like our warm Florida beaches. I still have terrible cold flashbacks. About two or three days before that trip, my mom and, uh, and I, she'd grab me, she'd go over to AAA, and we'd pick up a trip tick. Anybody remember trip ticks? Yeah, for those of you who don't know, this was a bound packet of maps and sites and stops that would guide you on your trip, uh, kind of like MapQuest, but a big packet of it. I was called uh, during those times the navigator of our trips, which meant I got to flip the pages, which was really cool when you're eight. (laughs) And and with the trip tick, you often did a lot of waiting and and you had to pay attention, right? Because it could change. You could be there for 700 miles if nothing was going on. Or you could change five pages in 30 seconds. Today, uh, when we go on trips, I don't go to AAA, Instead, I take out my phone, I plug it into my car sound system, I type in my destination, and then I allow it to tell me where to go. I remember when when Joy and I got our first Garmin GPS and we thought we were hot stuff. And and when we made the switch to the phone, first we started for us, we were Apple Map peoples, but now I am all about the app Waze. Waze is incredible because Waze allows me to choose which voice I want to tell me what to do. I can choose male or female, and if I'm feeling really sophisticated, I can choose a British or Irish or South African accent, and then I feel really fancy. 
Um, one time I even tried one of the Muppets voices on Waze. Let's just say that didn't go well. One of the things about, my, about using my phone for directions is that often it will tell me to do something that I am fairly positive it's wrong. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to go one way and the device is telling me it just makes no sense. Do you know what I've learned? That silly thing is usually right. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> I end up in trouble and I end up hearing that one word that just frustrates me beyond most any others from my phone, especially. It says, recalculating. <laughs> and have you, have you noticed how condescending that voice is? There are times, though, when, when I follow those directions, no, really, I do, and the little voice says, recalculating, and I have a little, like, skip in my heartbeat. Just over a week ago, we were coming home from vacation, and my phone suddenly uh, dinged and said, recalculating, and I panicked. The GPS had tracked a wreck that was ahead of us, and it automatically rerouted us so that we would avoid 20 extra minutes of sitting in traffic. Thank you, Jesus. That time, recalculating wasn't something that was telling me I had done something wrong, which I'm more used to, but was something that was warning me of, of what was ahead. There was a way out. I got to thinking about that this week, and I thought, man, I wish I had a GPS for other things in my life. Uh, not just for driving. Uh, when there are crises that are happening or when change is happening in me or around me, when I'm just going through it, I, it would be really great to have something walk around with me and just kind of keep me on track. I'd probably ignore it, but it'd be nice to have, right? It'd be great to have something follow, following me around, keeping me from messing up, something that'd keep me from avoiding some huge pothole of life. Well, you don't have to have a crystal ball or be a fortune teller to know that we're living in a time with a lot of potholes, um, a lot of uncertainty. We're enduring change at a rate that's disorienting, it's scary, causes drama wherever we look. Globally, there's uncertainty. Nationally, we have fear and confusion. Our political parties uh, believe that working together for compromise is some kind of major sin. So we just continue to violently attack each other and yell and try and be louder and win. It's not even immune in local government, and we're not immune from it in the church. Social change is happening faster than I can keep up. I don't know about you all, but words are being rethought and reworked and in some cases even redefined. And what was acceptable at one point is no longer, and what was once norm is now often sometimes seen as a violent attack. Some of those changes are really good. They needed to have happened. But some of them are really difficult for many of us to understand. But most all of them leave a large majority of folks kind of scratching our heads and wondering, what can we do without triggering somebody else? Just ask our kids. And again, the church is right in the middle of that. There's an entire world that's recalculating around us and the church is seeking what at one time was this firm foundation from opposed to what could be shifting sand. And for most of us, the church has been a place where we found um, some kind of immunity or, or some kind of safe place from unease or dis-ease that is around us. This, this place, for many of us, has been a fortress, a refuge. So what do we do? How do we manage it? 
what we're facing, by the way, um, as the church of Jesus Christ, um, this has happened before. Hopefully that's good news for you. Think about it. When the church first began to expand after the resurrection, the Jews wrestled with what to do with this massive new recalculating message. The good news! It included all the hopes of their faith story, but it also was really different. And that good news spread beyond Israel. The pagans began to experience their own version of recalculating. Many in the Roman world were intrigued by the Jewish faith. Others were outraged, even afraid. The idea of moral attributes and being a, a, a people with great character, well, that's reassuring. That's a good thing for many people. But other practices... This belief in having only one God was startling. One ancient writer even said that the the Jewish people were barbarians who worshipped one God. For how could one God manage everything? The message of the good news was welcomed by some some as a a saving liberator who would come to to bring uh, his followers to self-denial and to this deep love that's like a, a, a cold water on a hot day. But to others, this resurrected Jesus was nonsense, and humility was a weakness. Jesus and his followers were recalculating, and they were turning the world upside down. One church in particular is experiencing a great deal of this turmoil. Colossae is a city in modern Turkey, uh, which had once been this bustling area of commerce and trade. It had survived major wars and major conquerors, including folks like Assyria and Babylon and Persian, the Greeks and the Romans. And over time, uh, while still a prominent spot, it kind of lost some of its luster. Colossae had this large population of, uh, of Jewish transplants, a sizable church by the late 50s AD. Paul had been ministering all around, namely in the city of Ephesus, which is about 120 miles away. And as a result of that ministry, the message of Jesus got spread over and over, taken by his students uh, to neighboring cities and to villages. And Paul would write letters to these churches to encourage and to teach. Paul's letter to the, the church at Colossae, probably while he was, written while he was in prison, was hand-delivered by a man by the name of Epaphras. Um, not a normal name for us to be naming our kids today. Epaphras had come to Paul seeking wisdom for his church, guidance, as the Colossians were experiencing this recalculating, these challenges that were really difficult to overcome. We're going to talk about some of those challenges next week, but we can briefly say that the big issue that they were facing was something called syncretism, which is a fancy way of saying they were blending all of their faith stories. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, all in a pot, and a lot of confusion. Well, as well, a seeking pastor, with the seeking pastor Epaphras standing before him, Paul says, I got to figure out how I'm going to help this group of people. How will I work with them? How will I redirect them? He had written similar letters before. Sometimes he confronts head on. Other times he kind of wanders for a while before he gets there. To the church at Colossae, Paul takes a very different approach. What does Paul do? Well, we heard it just a minute ago. Paul takes the church back to Jesus. Who Jesus is, what he has done, and what Jesus means to everyone's daily life should mean to our everyday life. The letter to the church at Colossae is simply that Christ is all. 
He's all that matters, all that holds uh, creation and life together, and all that will matter in the end. Really experiencing Christ will change each and every person in such a way that all the other noise will get properly worked out, period. Now, my charismatic brothers and sisters would go, "Uh uh-huh. I know, we're not there. It's okay. Our reading today is often called this early Christian hymn or poem, and it certainly sets up one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. I invite you to read it out loud at some point today or this week and not get swept up. You can imagine that when Epaphras returned to his friends and he reads this letter to everybody out loud, they sit up and they listen and they go, wow. This poem answers the question of Jesus' identity. Our translation says Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Seeing the God who cannot be seen. Have you ever thought, I wonder what God looks like? Paul says, looks like Jesus. When we read the firstborn of creation, we're hearing a royal and ancient title, a role of importance, one that a firstborn son would have in the ancient world regarding the care of those who would follow him, his family. This is one who will set the standard for everyone who follows. Oh, and not only is the the visible image of the invisible, but Jesus is the one by which all that is, is. Isn't that great? I think it's great. You look like you're asleep. <laughs> he created it. And all of, all of it has reason because of him. To the Jews, Jesus is not some add-on God, but the God who has always been, but in the flesh. To the pagans, Jesus usurps all the other gods, all the other smorgasbord of things that's out there. He doesn't get added to the number. He is it. Verse 17 and 18 states, He existed before everything else and He holds all creation together and He's the head of the body, the church. Now those two statements are huge hinges. Um, One takes us backwards, one swings us forwards, inviting us to imagine something. Jesus pre-existed. He's not created. He's always been. And He created all of it. As the head of the church, the body, He now is ushering in something new into existence. What is this new thing? Anybody want to guess? Look what Paul says from the message. From from beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe People and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together into vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Did you hear that? Because of the blood of the cross, because of what Jesus did, because he is the first to resurrect, creation is all sorted out. Brokenness is fixed. There's something new that's happening. My friends, this is one of the greatest recalculating interruptions of all time. 
Paul tells his readers, tells us that it's Jesus who was, who is, and who will be the one who makes all things make sense. When we're lost and we're in trouble of blending and getting slipped up on different or confusing thoughts, it's Jesus who recalculates. It's Jesus who invites us to a new creation, to be a part of that new creation, and says, when you're swamped, look to me. It's Jesus above all and in all that invites us to the healing of the broken places inside of us to the broken places all around us. And it's Jesus who speaks to us and says, let me show you the way home. As we come to the table this morning, I wonder how many of us are feeling today lost and confused and distracted. And we need to hear deep down into our souls, we need to hear recalculating. Come, meet with me. Does this meal today need to be a way to encounter the one who is this visible image of the invisible God, the creator and a redeemer who is above it all, and yet right here with you and me? Are there broken places that he needs to touch? Have we been drowning out uh, with all of the things going on around us? Have we been drowning in too much information? We just need to go back and go, it's all about Jesus. Would you pray with me today? Holy and loving God, we thank you for this reminder, this bold reminder that Paul shares with the church at Colossae. We thank you, Lord, that it is a word for us as well. For we too live in a time of a lot of uncertainty and a lot of changes, changes outside in our world, in this nation, in our city. But also, Lord, we realize there are changes that are happening right here within these, uh, within the walls, within the borders of this church. And it's got some of us a little out of whack. Lord, I pray that you would use this morning and this coming to your table to redirect us, reroute us to you. Thank you, Lord, that you care about the broken and dislocated places, that you're still offering healing and wholeness in the midst of them. Meet us here, we pray. For it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we offer ourselves and this prayer. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.